0: Listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, I'm Catherine Cruz. Next week, Japan relaxes additional travel restrictions, but the weakening yen has put a damper on the rebound of Japanese visitors to the islands. The Hawaii Tourism Authority has just released a request for proposals to market that segment. Today, we're hearing from small businesses tied to the Japan honeymoon market. Before the pandemic, we were told there were some 30 companies catering to the wedding biz, but that number has dropped dramatically. Today, we bring you a tale of two Waikiki wedding companies. Waiting for the honeymoon segment has been difficult. We hear first from Sayumi's Princess Garden, a bridal salon that's been around for almost two and a half decades. We talk with Ayako Barlog. She says before COVID, the company handled more than a dozen weddings a day. Now they're just a few a week and mainly survive with help from local business from their kimono rentals and photography services.
1: We have a few weddings a month and some of them want to take a photo with wedding gowns on the beach and also we have a lot of kimonos, Japanese kimonos, so they want to take a pictures with kimonos, like a family photo or shigo-san. When the kids turn three years old, five years old, seven years old, we go to shrine to play for their kids, so they wear kimono to take a picture.
0: And so tell us what was business like before the pandemic hit, and how are you folks doing today?
1: Oh, yeah, before pandemic, we have a lot of weddings, including like a photo shoot, like a 10 to 15 a day. But right now, you know during pandemic, we couldn't even open the salon because it all shut down. So we now after the, the business opened, we have a, a wedding or photo shoot a couple weddings a week. And so,
0: you know, what does that mean for your staff? I mean, I don't know if you've lost workers? Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. Some of them went back to Japan because they had a working visa, but they couldn't work, so they have to go back to Japan. And then some of them went uh, change the job. So we have a couple staff left, but we don't have a lot of weddings yet. So. One hair-maker artist is coming from Japan with visa in a couple months. But, yeah, we don't carry a lot of stuff like right now.
0: So what type of services do you book to your company?
1: Like a whole wedding. We do reception, too. So we can book everything, like a church, hair-maker artist, photographer, limo, and like a flowers reception at the restaurant.
0: When you book your clients, is it generally just the groom and the bride, you know, or additional family members as well?
1: Yeah, from Japan, like most of people, only couple, uh, maybe half of them, only couple. And usually like half of them with parents or families, not a lot of you know, friends coming from Japan yet. Bigger wedding companies, like a Japanese companies, they have more weddings, but I right know Japanese yen is so weak, it's 145 yen equal $1, I think, so people still hesitate to come because we feel like it's like 40% more to buy anything in the U.S. And the customers that are coming,
0: are they scaling back?
1: I I think so. So try to not spend more money than what they expect.
0: That was Ayako Barlog from Sayumi's Princess Garden, which caters to honeymooning couples from Japan. Barlog says a recent show in Japan talked about how expensive even a Spam musubi was somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 yen, about $8. We also spoke with Joan Lizo Urbano from Something Borrowed Wedding Hawaii, a storefront that recently opened up in the Waikiki Hyatt Regency during the pandemic and is just hanging in there. Her story goes she was looking to buy a used wedding gown to renew her wedding vows and in Instead, walked out with 200 gowns at a liquidation sale and an idea to launch her new wedding business. She's hopeful there will be a turning point next week with travel, but realizes how the weekend is making it tough.
2: The storefront is gorgeous. It's unfortunate to the fact that in order to use the storefront, you actually have to have people come in. <laughs> you know, the whole reason for the storefront is for people to come and try on the dresses. And with the pandemic and the variant, the number of people coming in are very minimal.
0: Well, you know, we did see pent-up demand for a lot of the local brides when they've had to reschedule their weddings, and, you know, we did see some of that pick up. But if you're also looking for the Japanese market, you know, it's just trickling in. That is correct.
2: So we have to kind of network and learn to pivot to the the new on what is being on demand. So, of course, local has always been around, but also like working closely with the other vendors and kind of passing along what we can do together and creating packages together so that we can network and keep everybody afloat.
0: Yes, some of the businesses that we've checked with say that, yeah, it's just unfortunate because the yen is so weak right now and they were hoping to see a more robust return, but that might not happen till next year.
2: Yes, or even further, as we lift the ban of, you know, traveling and the restrictions from their side, to traveling here back to Hawaii, everyone is excited. But correct, the financial market has also taken a hit. And as a result of that, the conversion to dollars is not ideal for them. It has cost them more to come here now than it would have two years ago. So in order for them to come here, not only do they have to consider the time off that they have to take, but also the expenses that come with that, just like any other travel.
0: But you have overhead that you've got to maintain your storefront, so I'm sure it's difficult.
2: It's extremely difficult, but it is a challenge that we're facing heads-on every day. So we do have the storefront right there in the midst of Waikiki, which is a very good location. But at the end of the day, it's really about venturing out. So we are doing, as always, we're going into the industry of the whole wedding. So it's doing wedding planning, coordination, as well as doing the bridal side, which is your bridal dress rentals and food rentals and offering those photo tours. So we're kind of venturing into every single possible market in order for us to be sustainable
0: in that location. And, you know, I know just personal experience, my daughter just recently got married and, you know, it was touch and go because with the pandemic, you didn't know with the Omicron surge, you weren't sure what the capacity was going to be for venues. So it was a very stressful time. Uh, and so, yeah, your, your heart just goes out to folks because of so much uncertainty and it just makes it really hard.
2: Yeah, it impacts not only, of course, us that are relying on the bridal industry here in Hawaii, but it also, of course, impacts the people that have been planning their wedding, that have saved up money and have booked their travels from, you know, out of state, of country. So a lot of those We were saying oh we'll postpone for another year and then all of a sudden we get another variant and they can't travel again so then you kind of go into that a hopelessness feeling not only for us because we have to continue cancel 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 refund 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 but also for the the bride and groom you know the couple itself they're the one that i think is also feeling more of the heartache because of all the delay that's coming along but they have managed, in some instances, and, and some of my couple, of surviving that by doing the the courthouse, right? So getting their marriage done in their own area and then just postponing the reception, postponing the ceremony, ceremonial with the whole family and all the party that comes along with it. But at least they, they're married. And I think that's the most important part is that you're married,
3: right. um, that
2: you are with the person that you want to be with.
0: What are you doing to try and get the word out to the folks in Japan that you're open for business?
2: So this one is another challenge because advertising costs a lot of money. <laughs> and money um, comes from business. So I do have a advertising with Aloha Japan. And that I've been continuously advertising because that is local as well as international. But that's the extent of what I'm doing at the moment other than, you know, the social media marketing that we're going through. In order for us to actually afford the multimedia marketing that is required to publish in Japan in my small company, I would actually do need to have some sort of income coming in to support that. Right. Um, But it's really right now, I'm very blessed because my network has gotten bigger and bigger because I have met so many good people and so many open hands, open arms, giving advice in both industries, international as well as here local. So I'm really grateful of all of those everyone introducing themselves and opening up and trying to build a network where we're all can be helping each other out. Because I know it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but eventually they will come back. And we need to be able to actually be ready for that.
0: That was Joan Lizzo Urbano, owner of Something Borrowed Wedding Hawaii, a shop that opened up at the height in Waikiki. She was keeping her spirits up, trying to stay positive, keeping her sense of humor and sanity during these tough times. Before that, we heard from Sayumi Princess Garden, a tale of two businesses hanging on, hoping for the return of Japanese honeymooners in significant numbers. You're tuned to The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz.
4: (laughs) ¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶¶
0: Today we're digging up the dirt for today's Backyard Quiz. We're searching for one of the canoe plants brought to Hawaii by early Polynesian voyagers. The shrub has large heart-shaped leaves and jointed stems. The flower is a narrow yellow-green spike, and the root is soft-wooded and thick, requiring two to three years to achieve usable potency. Medicinally, the roots, leaves, stems, and bark reportedly can cure general debility, weary muscles, chills, colds, headaches respiratory diseases, diabetes, and rheumatism. Additionally, a narcotic drink is made from the roots for ceremonial use, but depending on the amount consumed, it can be a stimulant as well as a depressant. Don't go to sleep as you chew on the answer, but can you tell us the name of the plant and the color of the rare form of the plant? Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right scores a HPR reusable tote bag.
5: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nairit Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits that help to strengthen the community and help underserved families, such as Hawaii Literacy. NairitHawaii.com
0: We now turn to another pocketbook story. Later this month, we'll mark a day where we imagine a day without water. Conservation of our precious resource took high priority this year in the fallout of the Red Hill fuel-contaminated water crisis. Today, we tell you about a new rebate for low-flow toilets. The Honolulu Board of Water Supply is launching this week. We connected with information specialist Stephen Nordstrom to learn more.
4: We had a toilet rebate back in the late 90s, and it ended at the end of 2010, and so we've been getting lots of positive feedback from customers and people that see us at events wanting, uh, asking when we are going to do another toilet rebate, so it's really a good thing. So yeah, we just launched it. It started um, October 3rd, which was 4th actually, which was Tuesday, and basically, Catherine, what it is is um, if customers purchase a 1.28 gallons per flush toilet or less, they can get a $45 rebate the Board of Water Supply
0: okay so they might be getting ready to do some renovations or building a new house a new unit and all that is something you can take advantage of
4: yeah and you know you want to think about this too even the savings is about 30 to 50 dollars per year and if you really think about it that will pay for the toilet install within a two to four year period so and that ongoing savings will continue
0: so, what can you tell us then about the toilets that you can purchase? I mean, you know, we've been hearing about this for some time, and I know the technology mm-hmm. has probably gotten better are these toilets readily available for families?
4: Yes, yeah, we have a consultant called Honeywell, and they've been working with the various retailers like Home Depot, Hardware Hawaii, and trying to get various stores to sell the 1.28 gallons per flush, because right now the federal standard is 1.68 gallons per flush. So, you know, we're always trying to push for less water use as much as we can, because it does go a long way, especially with the situation around Red Hill and the 10% voluntary water conservation uh, request that we're asking for our customers.
0: How are we doing with our conservation? Because early in the year, I know there was the call out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. by our, our chief engineer, and, and we didn't do so good, but it's gotten better.
4: Yeah, actually, you know, people listen, and we really appreciate it. We've been pushing the, um, our conservation messaging, and, you know, we're in a little different situation now than we were before Red Hill, because we shut down three water sources. So overall, for during the summertime, water demand was lower than the previous year, which is good, but we still have a long ways to go. So that's why we're really trying to ramp up our rebate programs and we're trying to get the message out there because it's really not that much hard work when it comes to conserving water it's really about the educational part and the residents of Oahu have been very very big and, and we really appreciate all the work they've been doing to conserve water
0: and they've been doing it by maybe not doing so much laundry every week mm-hmm. being careful when they wash dishes taking shorter showers that kind of thing
4: yep exactly and then of course uh, as we always ask if people see people wasting water it's not about pointing fingers, but really it's about education. And so, um, we actually have a water waste hotline where we ask customers or water users island wide to let us know 808-748-5041 or email contact us at hbws.org. And we follow up on all our water waste complaints.
1: Well,
0: let's talk more about the the rebate program. I mean, walk us through how it's supposed to work.
4: So yeah, all residents have to do is they have to go and buy a toilet. Uh, It's 1.28 gallons per flush or less. Um, it's a limit to per household, and then once they purchase it, save that receipt, go to our website, boardofwatersupply.com slash rebates, and we have an application form on the website. They fill out the application form, and they can send the rebate over to, um, they can either email it to us at uh, watersensible at or they can actually uh, mail it to the Board of Water Supply, and they'll usually get their rebate within uh, six to eight weeks
0: and so gosh I mean how much money uh, is there that's available for these rebates? you know is there a federal grant or how are we able to offer this
4: that's a great question so actually there's no federal grant so what the Board of Water Supply does every year is out of our water resources division we set aside from our operating budget a certain percentage that goes towards our rebates because rebates are huge because we're all big on water conservation because when we conserve water that protects our aquifers It protects our water resources because as you know they're limited so every Every year that increases a little more and we set aside money for our rebate programs and we're always trying to um, expand it. As you know, the toilet is a new one. We recently, last year, just launched our commercial rebate program.
0: And what does that involve?
4: That involves different rebates from from the commercial sector that includes like toilets and urinals from plumbing to landscaping to kitchen products. And we've been um, working with various restaurants and hotels to promote that as well.
0: And that's still underway?
4: Yeah, that actually kicked off. Yeah, it's underway. That If you go to the board of com slash rebates, you'll see more about our commercial rebate programs and the various rebates we have there, as well as our residential rebates.
0: And, you know, why haven't we been able to offer it, let's say, in the last decade and a half?
4: I think the, uh, the main focus with that is with our consultant, Honeywell. They go on and they're researching what is the best way and the best rebates to offer our customers and what's the best amount of money it is there to offer. And and I think with um, toilets, as you know, toilets like back in the 90s, you know, people had the five gallons and three-gallon toilets. 1.68 gallons per flush is definitely the federal standard that's good, but as new toilets are being are coming out and they're made available, we are now trying to work and get that, those rebates out to get people to know about it and, of course, make those purchases, especially like you mentioned earlier, if they're doing any kind of renovations or anything like that.
0: Now, I know in our building, you know, we have mm-hmm. uh, restrooms that have different ways to flush, right? For solids and liquids. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that pretty much just for commercial or does that apply for residential as well?
4: Um, I think those are just the different types of models of toilets. There's different models, but for this rebate, it's just a toilet that uses 1.28 gallons per flush in general.
0: And then uh, how much water is generally flushed down the toilet, you know, on an average basis? Do you ha- have any data ab- about that at all?
4: I, I don't have any data on, the, uh, on what the average is here in Hawaii. I know uh, I can tell you for sure that, you know, the amount of large toilets that we saw back in the 90s and before with three and five gallon toilet tanks are not, there's not many of them out there as there used to be because you can't purchase them. The federal standard is 1.68. But at least now we're, you know, we're, we're giving that offer for uh, 1.28 gallons per flush because now there's more of those toilets that are being available. And as those gallons per flush continue to lower and they're made available, though will continue to probably lower the amount per toilet rebate.
0: Okay, and this is
4: for Oahu residents. Actually, what- Border Water Supply customers only. If you, As long as you are a Border Water Supply customer, and even if you live in a condo, because condos are usually have, they're served by one master meter to work with your um, resident manager to find out what the, what the building's account number is so they can um, get the rebate on that toilet. One thing, just make sure when they are purchasing the toilet, when you do go to the store, you always want to make sure, and for any kind of products for our rebates, you want to make sure you look for the WaterSense logo. And what that WaterSense logo is doing is that it's meeting the EPA's criteria for any kind of um, uh, low-flow or water-efficient appliances, even when it comes to um, our other uh, rebates as well, when it comes to clothes washers and things like that.
0: Do we know how long this will be offered? Is there a, a cap
4: great question actually the um there is a, quite a bit of funding for the program so it will last until funding runs out but i can tell you right now that's not going to be anytime soon because as i mentioned earlier we are continuously increasing the budget for our rebates and we want people to take advantage of this that's why we have this because when people take advantage of our rebates um it's helping to preserve our uh, water resources which are limited and very precious and we need to do everything we can to protect that as much as possible
0: okay all right, and then we are going into the uh, uh, the rainy season, right? Pretty soon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are starting starting to see more um, more rainfall, so that's a good thing.
4: Yeah, that would be a great thing, especially if you have a rain barrel, too. <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Yeah, oh, and that's right. Uh, so you do have other rebates uh, available? Yes, yes. Residential? We have
4: a bunch of uh, rebates for our residential customers. One of them, Catherine, one of the most popular are rain barrels, and they're, they're hard to get. But we, we are working very closely with uh, retailers like City Mill and Hardware Hawaii to get them to get rain barrels and to promote it with their customers. We just recently did a rain barrel workshop um, at City Mill, and uh, it was a great turnout.
0: We've been hearing from Honolulu Board of Water Supplies, Stephen Nordstrom. He was talking to us about the rebate programs for its customers. Information about the Rain Barrel Program and the newly launched low-flow toilet rebates will be on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org, later today. Reality Check with Honolulu Civil Beat looks at the prospects of a bill aimed at managing our fisheries. Reporter Nick Ruby joins us today from D.C. Hope you're enjoying a nice, brisk fall day.
5: Yeah, it's very nice. The rain has finally passed.
0: (laughs) Well, you have a story today about our fisheries and a bill uh, that uh, might not be uh, doing so good.
5: Right. So this is really a story about how the sausage is made in Washington or how it isn't made. Um, so it, it involves the Magnuson-Stevens Act, which was passed in 1976, uh, to help manage the nation's fisheries. You know, we're talking about places from New England to the Gulf of Mexico, Alaska and Hawaii in the Pacific. And essentially, this bill was passed to um preserve fish stocks, right, and prevent overfishing, um, and ensure that the fishing industry, which of course brings hundreds of billions of dollars uh, into the economy each year, to make sure that it can sustain itself. But the thing with the Magnuson-Stevens Act, or the MSA as it's often referred to, uh, is that it hasn't been updated since 2006. Um, And as we know, a lot of things have happened in those intervening 16 years, and one of the biggest ones uh, is climate change. Um, now, climate change is really altering the world's oceans uh, and the fish that live in it in ways that probably weren't considered back then. And so, what uh, this bill uh, uh, that was introduced uh, during this Congress by uh, Congressman Jared Huffman of California and uh, Hawaii Congressman Ed Case, what this bill does is it forces. Uh, federal fisheries managers to really take uh, climate change into account and it, and, it, and it also updates a lot of other things related to like technology so that uh, fish stocks could be better monitored. Uh, there's uh, other oversight and accountability provisions in it as well for the Western Pacific Fisheries Management Council, which uh, is one of uh, the eight regional councils that oversees how fish stocks are managed in our area, uh, such as, you know, uh, regulating how, how much tuna can be caught uh, out in the sea. Um, now, the thing about this law that's pretty interesting is that it's just notoriously difficult to pass. Um, but, you know, it has made its way through the House at least a little bit. It uh, recently passed the House Natural Resources Committee and is expected to pass the full House of Representatives. Uh, but most people don't think it's going to make it through the Senate.
0: I mean, they had high hopes, but we understand that uh, there was some support by a Republican lawmaker who died recently.
5: Uh, that's right. So um, so this law is it, its challenging to get through a Congress that's actually functioning properly. Uh, it makes it that much more difficult when uh, we're in a Congress that is as divided as it is along uh, partisan lines, right? Um, so, for example, the Magnuson-Stevens Act Uh, Just stepping back for a second, it involves a lot of stakeholders, right? We're talking about people who live on the East Coast, um, uh, down South, West Coast, in in the islands, and um, all of them have different wants, needs, and desires, uh, whether they are commercial fishermen or uh, representatives of an an indigenous group um, or seafood processors. And so these stakeholders don't always have... um, clear uh, wants and needs that fall along party lines. And so Don Young, a Republican from Alaska, um, he was considered a potential dance partner for uh, the Democrats on this bill. Now, he has a long history with the Magnuson-Stevens Act. Um, he was one of the original authors of the, of the first bill. Um, and he was actually uh, heavily involved in passing it in 2006. And, you know, Alaska and Hawaii... Uh, have a really good connection and a deep connection, especially in Washington. Um, and so there was there was a lot going on. But unfortunately, in March, he passed away. And so although the chances of this bill moving forward were slim while he was alive, his passing just made it that much more difficult um, That uh, and, and makes it nearly impossible for this thing to get done before the end of Congress.
0: Yeah, it's tricky Sorry. because, you know, we do have an election coming up. And, you know, while they're, like I said, the bill's authors are hopeful, they know it's a long shot, but they have to keep plugging away. Thanks so much, Nick.
5: Hey, thank you so much for having me on.
0: That was reporter Nick Ruby with today's Reality Check. Read his full story at SybilBeat.org.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company since 2005, featuring a locally-based customer care team committed to problem-solving and personal service for each client. Learn more at Mobi.com. In many languages, nouns are gendered. Take the word
0: bridge, if it's feminine
1: in your language, you're more likely to say that bridges
0: are beautiful and elegant, and if the word bridge is masculine in your language you're more likely to say that bridges are strong and long and towering
6: language and how you see the world this week on hidden brain from npr
7: beginning this evening at 7 following living on earth
0: the national football league is set to wind up its investigation of the injury and follow-up care that miami dolphins quarterback tua tangovaloa suffered recently the story put brain concussions in the spotlight, but sports injuries are just part of the story. This weekend happened to be the first in-person fundraising event for the Hawaii Brain Injury Association. We talked to the executive director, Billy Jean B.J. Wade, about the support network it's working to strengthen. The Brain Injury
3: Association of Hawaii was actually uh, created back in 1987. Being a nonprofit, that means that there's been a lot of different leaders who have guided this organization most recently and most folks remember ian uh ian, ian maddock, maddock who's a well-known successful attorney in town and ian was pro- responsible probably for bringing this organization to the the light for this community um he held all kinds of conferences um and it was just super well known we are affiliated with the national organization which is the brain injury association of america one of the reasons of having that national affiliation is it is a specific line toward us knowing what's happening across the country in terms of research um, legal matters and it just opens the door for us here in hawaii Uh, ian passed away a couple of years ago and then we were uh, hit with the pandemic that meant that the organization really didn't have the excellent leadership that we had when it was with Ian, because Ian, being with the law office, had the services of his office and the resources that that provides. One of the existing board members asked me if I would join the board. I am a retired paralegal. I worked with uh, in family law for several years. Um, and I said, okay, join the organization and saw that most of the members who were on the board, uh, two of them have uh, children who were severely challenged, which means that they really didn't have the time and the ability to be able to provide the administrative information and, and processes that we needed for this um, organization to go forward. So since I've been uh, with the organization it's been two and a half years, my goal, my vision for the brain injury Association is to Help the community become more aware and n- least likely to, to stigmatize those who do have a brain injury. I was first acquainted with those numbers, which says that I think 10,000 uh, people in the state of Hawaii uh, experience uh, TBI, which is a traumatic brain injury. And so that number is, is misleading in that it only focuses on one aspect of brain injuries. There are strokes, there are other brain injuries. There are concussions of course, which we know about because of the sports related accidents that happen. But after I started talking with people and looking at the little numbers, it it occurred to me that probably every one of us has either experienced some kind of brain injury or we know someone who has. The strokes are, are brain injuries. A large number of people walking around today may have had a brain injury and don't even know it. But it's getting that information out to as many people as possible about what the resources are and what the information is. But most importantly, to help ease that stigma, one of, uh, one of our board members shared with me that her, um, her son, who was in his early 20s, and he was, told his mom, he said, Mom, I don't want you to tell people that you're on the board. And I was like, why? And she said, because he's embarrassed. Because I guess folks equate a brain injury with, with a lack of, of mental abilities the mental acuity. And so I, I, was just, I was shocked by that and taken aback by that until I realized, well, of course that would be true. But that was at one time true of folks who had cancer or who had heart issues, almost all of our medical conditions. In the beginning, we tend to, to sort of demonize those who have them. But when you shed the light on them, and once we realize how common these occurrences are and that affects so many of us, we can do something about it.
0: You, so, Your organization <clears throat> your organization just held an event this past weekend and brought together, gosh, a whole cross-section of the community. Uh, it, it included folks who shared their stories. You know, there were folks that were involved in car accidents. You know, Emmy Tamimbong, who was your speaker that weekend, uh you know had a brain aneurysm and she talked about her recovery so we just really need to i guess raise the awareness in the community of um the fact that this touches so many lives
3: and that's exactly what needs to happen it's pretty interesting because emma had asked me if i had had a brain injury and i answered her somewhat flippantly but not so much so and i said not as far as i know (laughs) and the reason (laughs) and i said that though is because when i the more i keep reading about it, folks have concussions and they don't even know that they've had them you can have multiple ones. Uh, you can have many strokes and not be aware that you've had it. I mean, so it, my being on this board and joining this organization these past years has really opened my eyes to how widespread uh, that, that whole uh, brain injury umbrella is, that it covers so many of us. I didn't think that I had anyone that I personally knew had had a brain injury until I remembered and thought I have a cousin who recently passed away and he was he had a PTSD he was in the war and his, his whole brain was, was basically caved in my daughter's father-in-law okay also uh, Jerry Coffey, was severely injured and had multiple brain injuries so almost all of us when we think about it you look at it you do know someone who's had a brain injury
0: and the key is just knowing that you're not alone there are resources Uh, There are people who've been through things that they can share, you know, what it's been like. You know, maybe for some it's a long road for recovery. Uh, For others it might be just the commitment if you're a caregiver, if someone in your family has had a brain injury.
3: The whole caregiving, I hadn't really too much thought about that until Karen Clemmy, who uh, has been doing the support group meetings in Kona for what, what, going on 28 years which is in itself fantastic and phenomenal but I know that she b- is very very much involved in the caregivers and recently reading that many of those who are caregiving are passing away before the person who they're providing care for so again it's like this, it's is just such a huge pervasive issue all of us are involved in it and we just need to be this more aware and being able to provide more services Hawaii doesn't have a lot of the services that are available on the mainland. So our organization gets phone calls from people who live here or who have lived here in Hawaii who want to come home and they're questioning what is available here. And it's kind of sad to say that we don't have a lot, a lot of things, particularly residential, we don't have residential places for people who have a brain injuries. So again, but it's just something that the more you shed light on things, the more you're able to get funding and people interested in rectifying what those issues are.
0: That was Billie Jean, or BJ Wade, Executive Director of the Hawaii Brain Injury Association. She's working to expand awareness about the prevalence of brain injuries in our community.
5: Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art reopening the Doris Duke Theater with art house films from around the world, live performances, and more, reflecting Hawaii's cultures and communities. HonoluluMuseum.org/theater. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
6: Hi, I'm David Gibson, author of The Complete Guide to Sound Healing. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how sound affects us physically, mentally, emotionally,
7: and spiritually. Beginning Sunday morning at 11
0: early in the show we went digging in the backyard for one of the early canoe plants valued highly for its relaxing medicinal properties the plant grows well at low elevations and requires constant moisture and partial sun the erect shrub displays smooth heart-shaped leaves with green or black jointed stems it's very hardy and grows up to 12 feet high And in old Hawaii, there were dozens of the variety grown in the wild, and the black variety is rare. Today, it's cultivated increasingly throughout the Pacific Islands, where it's called kava or kava kava. Here in the state, we know this member of the pepper family as ava, used principally as a sedative to induce relaxation and sleep. It can also be used as a tonic when people feel weak. But be careful about overindulging, because if used too much, it can adversely affect the skin and the eyes. Congrats to our winner, Curtis from Molokai. You got it right. It's today's quiz. If you have one to share, write to talk back at HawaiipublicRadio.org. <laughs> Childhood Story of Babar by French author Jean de Brunhoff. Well, this weekend, the pachyderm gets a nod in a performance of French classics by renowned pianist Mark Markham. He's accompanied such greats as Leontine Price and has been the longtime recital partner of Jesse Norman. For a time, he lived in France, and this weekend, he will put on a concert at the University of Hawaii's Orvis Auditorium. We had Markham in our studios yesterday, along with French consul Guillaume Maman, to talk about the show.
7: We are very fortunate that Mark Markham is a Francophile and has accepted to uh, come here in Hawaii and do a concert for the Alliance Francaise of Hawaii. The concert will be on Sunday, October 9th at uh, 3 p.m. at Orvis Hall at the University of Hawaii in Manoa. So yes, we're extremely fortunate. Uh, It's rare that we have a pianist of this caliber in Hawaii. So we are all very happy to listen to the concert.
0: So I understand that it is all French classical music? Tell us about it. It's classical
6: music, and we started with the idea that it was all French music. And so French composers, Debussy and Ravel and Poulenc and all this stuff. And then I thought, you know what, sometimes it's good to know what your neighbors are up to. So I started looking into the comparison of how would a French composer set something versus a German composer. And so I mixed some of that in. And then there are composers who were great Francofag, like Liszt, Franz Liszt, who was Hungarian. But I mean he spoke French, he spoke German, he was truly a man of the world. And he wrote music that he entitled with French titles, Harmonie du Soir, Harmonies of the Evening. And I thought, there we go, that's I can try something like that, but then at the end to do the L'Histoire de Babar, because the program is inspired by nature and literature. And I thought that's the perfect piece when they said literature. These other pieces are are inspired by poetry but then Jean de Brunoff with the text of Babar and that Poulenc because of his nieces and nephews came in one day to his country house put the book of Babar on the piano and said, play this! And he started making up music and then decided
0: to write it down. Yeah, and for folks who don't know, Babar is the, the, little the elephant. wonderful elephant and I understand that you're going to be Taking part in this presentation? I, I am
7: extremely fortunate to have been selected as a narrator uh, for Babar. Now, you, you understand the pressure is on because I am neither an actor nor a singer nor a narrator. And I know that Mark has performed with some of the best singers in the world and the best narrators for specifically for that piece, L'Histoire de Babar. Uh, I, I, I uh, there was even more pressure when I found out that he performed with Francoise Fabian, for example, a very famous actress in France. And so I'm going to I don't want to scare our listeners. I worked very hard on it. I'm going to give the best performance for the, the people that are going to come on Sunday, but it's definitely it's a pleasure. It's an honor to do that. And for me, baba, I was raised with baba and since my mother loved classical music, my grandmother's mother was actually a piano teacher at the Conservatoire de Paris the Paris Conservatory. And so I was raised with uh, L'Histoire de Babar, and I remember Peter and the Wolf, yes. Prokofiev's. So it's uh, something truly personal. I didn't know that uh, many years later I'll be able to perform it with a world-renowned pianist like uh, Mark Merkin.
0: Well, I think, you know, uh we're so fortunate to be able to have you here to present this concert to our community you know this is at the university and I don't know take us back when you were a university student studying music I mean did you ever think that your world would be so expansive?
6: I was born I can say this truly that I was born to play the piano I was born in music I would never made a choice as to what I would do in life it's just the way I was as a child, just gravitating towards music and then to a keyboard and then to a piano and lessons and all these things. And so I never paid attention as to where are we going? It was just what are we doing? What do we need to do? That was my enjoyment, to work on the music. And then when the performance opportunities come, then you kind of, oh, okay. Good, wonderful. But you don't pursue those opportunities, you prepare for them.
0: Right, and you just because follow you your passion. Know. You never right. know. You follow your, your
6: passion. passion. I'm one of the luckiest people on the planet. I know that. I have great appreciation for that. But it's, you do the work, and then the results come. But you can't chase results because it's all too elusive and you never have any quality.
0: Well, I must so. confess, I took piano lessons, but I had a heck of a time reading music. I think I'm dyslexic, and so it was very mm-hmm. difficult for me. But if I listened to something, you know, and I picked up a guitar and I liked something, I, would, I could, you know, pick it up by ear as opposed right. to reading music. So what you do is amazing.
6: Oh, <laughs> but it's a lot of practice. It's like learning a language, that you learn the sounds the vowels make, you learn the sounds the consonants make, you, you sound them out, you pronounce them, you learn what they mean. And then little by little, when you go back to how you were taught to read, And then you realize, oh, music is the same way, but we're reading vertically, but it's traveling horizontally. Mm -hmm. So that's another world of, you know, how we're all, how we're wired. Some people are wired to listen. Some people are wired to play. And I appreciate them all, especially if they come to a concert. (laughs) Yes,
0: in Hawaii, no less, right? (laughs) Right. And and so the theme that you select said nature.
6: Nature and literature. So I'm playing a piece by Debussy, Les sons et les parfums tournent dans l'air du soir. The sounds and the fragrances mingle in the night air. It's it's from a a line of poetry from Baudelaire. So Debussy wrote a prelude on that. And of course, when we have poetry and literature and nature, there's always love. So I, I put in a piece, an early piece of Debussy called the Vos Romantique, which is very, it's almost Russian in some ways. You hear this dance, and you can see all this nighttime. Their way of—it's just a way of expression. And then Robert Schumann comes up, and he does a piece of his called "The Night," "The Evenings," and you get to hear a German point of view, and it's just as moving. But it's sometimes—it's good to know. It's good to travel.
0: And so, gosh, when you play these pieces, and you know, let's say you're here in Hawaii, and you're smelling the plumeria or the. Mm. Picake in the evenings and listening to, to our music, what stirs in you?
6: Fragrances have always been something since child. I grew up in Florida, so it wasn't the most tropical part of Florida, but this, the smell, the sounds, the ocean, all of these different things, they, they represent things and they go inside us. And then something triggers it along the way, just like I lived in the south of France for 12 years. There's jasmine in the evening, there's lavender in the afternoon after it rains, and those smells, they still, they, they destroy me in a good way, in a good way, because they, oh, it's amazing how powerful all that is, that it can jerk you literally, emotionally, back to another place, even if it's for a split second. And music also has that same power. And that composers and artists were, were drawn to these things, especially in the French, in French culture. It's a different sensitivity.
0: And know when 30%. i was listening to some of your performances i mean you just play with the passion i mean oh, you can just you. tell and so it's just delightful so i'm sure you know the audience on sunday then is going to be in for a real treat
7: uh, a real treat indeed mark actually was kind enough to give us a performance about a year ago, yeah, uh, a year ago. for the alliance Française, and so that was the first time that i had the chance to meet mark and to uh, listen and to see him live and it was uh, an absolute treat. So I know that people are going to enjoy the uh, concert on Sunday very much. We are very very happy that uh, he accepted to come again for um, our Alliance Française event.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I mean you're no stranger to Hawaii. You've been here for several trips. Hawaii. Do you still have family in Florida? I mean I know what I have life-
7: family in Florida. I spoke
6: to my father yesterday because I sent him a video. I was playing a concert in Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places, two weeks ago with a singer, and. 30 minutes before the concert, the singer became ill. And so the promoters came to me at 25 minutes until showtime and said, could you play something? What do you mean something? Could you play a program? And out of, nothing was prepared. I knew what I was gonna play here, but I hadn't really started working on it. I played the program.
5: Uh.
6: And it was live streamed around the world and I had sent an announcement to all my friends around the world, oh listen, I want you to hear this singer. And then lo and behold, there I was. (laughs) <laughs> and they got to, so things happen. You need to be prepared. You need to, you know, that's the way it works.
0: Yeah, and your family is okay with the my storm? My family is okay
6: because they were further north. Okay. So they didn't get it. So
0: because, they have power. No, You're they have <laughs> they have everything,
6: nothing, because the storm was literally mm-hmm. headed towards Tampa, and my brother lives just south of Tampa, and my niece is there also. But my brother moved on the Monday before to Tallahassee, he sold his house, and they had closed on Friday, on Monday they moved. Wow. So they were safe, my niece was there, and the storm at the last second decided it was gonna turn and go into Fort Myers, Naples, and there it did its destruction, it's, and it is beyond. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I grew up on the Gulf of Mexico, I know what that's like, and you, you sit there watching to see, but when the water temperature is 88 degrees, yeah. it's too hot sometimes yeah, yeah. to just even go swimming, it's not refreshing, it's just so, warm.
0: So I I guess I'm wondering what you would play just to illustrate, you know, a storm like that and, you know, the devastation and the.
6: Believe it or uh, not, Debussy has a piece what the West Wind has seen. If you know France and you know the wind from the West and you live up north near Brittany in that area and you know what that feels like when that comes and the piece is all about destruction and you can hear it in the music. You feel that and the danger of it and the ch- sudden shift. Because a lot of these storms, they come, they hit, and then there's all of a sudden silence. That's what I remember as a child, that these huge storms would come, and then the eye would come. And yes. everyone thought, okay, we're safe. No. it's said, no, 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 the, t- the other part's coming now. Right, right. Get yeah. back inside. So all this drama, the drama of life exists in music, and as an artist, that's my responsibility. I was given the tools and the talent to be able to express that. So it's up to me to change the room, so to speak. That's mm-hmm. what my job is for me, is to change the room, because people come to concerts to get away from their lives.
1: Yes.
6: We all need to get away from our lives sometimes, because sometimes it's not pleasant. And you go, and you get to walk into another space, and it's the artist's responsibility to turn that. And like Guillaume gets to read Babar, something he's known <laughs> since he was a child. And it literally is just the book but Poulenc was very clever. You read, and then the piano demonstrates. It, it musically, it acts out what was just read. There's nothing, it's not too complicated. I know Guillaume's a little word. There's some spots when he has to read while I play, but we'll handle that. Nobody will know how we deal with that. Because okay. <laughs> if I can do it with these actors, I've done it in Chinese and in Japanese. I did it in Japan with a very famous television personality for a room of 700 children, but in Japanese. So mm. in my score all the cues. In Japanese. So it, it, it's very possible. So Guillaume, you're going to be great. I'm not
0: <laughs> there you go. There's nothing to
6: worry about at all. If I can do it in, in Mandarin and in Japanese, I think we'll be fine. Okay. Thank you. We, in we,
7: French, rather, <laughs> that's the most natural. And you know the story. I know the story, <laughs> and uh, hopefully my French is good enough. <laughs> oh, I, that part I'm not worried about at all. At all. Uh, but uh, it's truly a pleasure and an honor to no, do it with you, Mark. For me, too. All I'm, right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I
0: think a lot of people are. But thank you so much for, for spending time with us today, and we'll see you at the
7: concert. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. Thank you, Jeffrey.
0: We were hearing from classically trained artist, pianist, Mark Markham, and honorary French Council Guillaume Mamon. Tickets are still available for the Sunday event. Get away from your life for an hour or two this weekend. Look for links on our website later today. it for us today tomorrow we plan to hear from our state highways chief about those red light cams what do you think glad they're going in or not give us some feedback call our talk back line 808-792-8217 email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org connect with us on facebook i'm Catherine cruz join us tomorrow for more of the conversation